Thank you for listening to the Giving Light Podcast. We are a family church and world outreach center. Our heart is to empower you to walk in true freedom and equip you to impact your world. Please visit our website at givinglight.org to learn more about us and our many resources, including original music by Brave Music, e-courses for leaders, tools for raising powerful kids, and more. If you would like to support Giving Light financially, visit our Give Online page to choose the best giving method for you. Thanks again for joining us and enjoy this message. Yeah. Can we just pray? Jesus, I thank you for your presence. Jesus, I thank you that you gave your life for us. Your love was so massive towards us, God, that you gave your life for us. You are Emmanuel, God with us. God, may we never forget your benefits. You healed us of all our diseases. You cleansed us. You forgave us. You are rich in mercy. You are a strong tower. God, we choose to remember your benefits. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. I'm going to tell you right now, it's going to be an uncomfortable morning for me more than anybody. And I promise you I have notes. I do. I have lots and lots of notes. But I'm just going to talk to you if that's all right. Thank you, Jesus. Guys, if I could give you the gift of hunger, I would. I think it's the greatest gift I could possibly give you. Because he says, for those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, they will be filled. So I can't give you hunger. But I'm just going to pray that you find it. Father, I thank you that you're worth every cost. Can you just say, Holy Spirit, reveal yourself to me. Now, I believe that when we ask of him, he answers us. So I have faith right now that when you're asking Holy Spirit to reveal himself to you, he is going to reveal himself to you. Thank you, Jesus. I believe that Jesus is the answer to every question. And I know that we live in a world that really likes to understand things, really likes to make sense of things really likes to know how to articulate and put it into research and, and, and have it spelled out. But the kingdom isn't always like that. Jesus was just constantly just tilting his disciples, tilting the world's mind because it didn't make sense. Now, I will say, if you're a person who enjoys the research and understanding and having line upon line, 
God is really good. And so he says that when you seek, you'll find. And so if you're that person, I don't think that you should just not wonder. I think you should seek because his promise is that when you seek, you'll find. So if that's you, seek. But don't expect it to just show up in front of you. He says, seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open to you. But there's a lot of times it's just not going to make sense. Because faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not yet seen. That means you don't have to, to see it to believe it. So on my phone, my lock screen says, teach me, dear Lord, to live all of my life through your eyes. Because I want it to be known of me, and I'm not there yet. A long time from now, when I pass to glory, I want it to be known of me that I took him at his word. That if he said it, that was enough for me to believe it. In John 1, 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. If you're not familiar with what the Word is, it's this book. It's this Bible. This is the Word of God. I used to read this on my phone all the time, because I do most everything on my phone. And for Christmas, I asked for this particular Bible, because there's space in the margins to write notes. But reading this... I'm not telling you how to read your Bible, just read it. But having this in my hand has really transformed me. Because I open it, and I used to open it and read it because we we're supposed to. Because we're Christians. I've been told my whole life, you're supposed to read the Bible. And I never found it that interesting, if I'm honest. But now it's so alive, and it's so real, and it's so true, and it's so, it's so him, like, I just believe that if you read it and you keep reading it, you're going to find him. And he says that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. This is his words. He is his word and his word is him. And he tells us to pray. Give us this day our daily bread. Say daily bread. That means we cannot go a day without this. And do I think that you should be cracking open your Bible every day? I do. But right now, this one piece of one verse in this huge book has just been my prayer. And it just says, I just say, thank you, Jesus, that your yoke is easy and your burden is light. And I just say that over and over and over again. It's just like, I, I just said it so many times that like, if I'm still... I know Nathaniel one day, I said, thank you, Jesus. And he was like, for what? And I said, well, if I'm going to say words, if I'm going to fill space just to fill space, I'm going to say thank you, Jesus, because he's just worth it every time. And so I just say, thank you, Jesus, that your yoke is easy and your burden is light. And what that is doing, just that one sentence, is transforming my mind that when life is hard, because life is hard, it's reminding me that it's not stressful to follow Jesus. It might be stressful to live in this world, but it's not stressful to follow Jesus because his yoke is easy and his burden is light. So I would challenge you to get in his word 
even if it's just one verse, and repeat it and let it change you, let it transform you. And like I said, I can't give, I can't make you do that. I can't give you hunger. But I promise you, if you keep reading it, you'll become hungry because that's how it works. In the kingdom, the more you eat, the hungrier you become. In the Bible, it says that greater love has no man than this, that he laid down his life for his friend. And that really does something to me. Because Jesus laid down his life for his friend. He called me his friend. He called you his friend. Greater love has no man than this, that he would lay down his life for his friend. So he paid that price for me, and he called me his friend. I want to be a friend of Jesus. He did it for me when I was still a sinner, when I, didn't, when I hated him. I didn't know, I, I, there was no way for me to love him at that point, and he still did it for me. So now that I know him, I want to be his friend. But being a friend of Jesus is costly. Being a friend of Jesus will cost you everything. In Matthew 16, it says, Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? And we're faced with that every day because we live in a world and we have five senses and we deal with things in the world. But what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and he doesn't have Jesus? In Ephesians 3, Paul prays this prayer for the church and I love it. It's really profound and he um, <laughs> actually I think it's funny in the English translation so I do a lot of grammar correcting well I have in the past because I was tutoring and things like that so I would correct a lot of run-on sentences but the English translation of, of um, Ephesians 3 is it's like one sentence it's a really really long run-on sentence and I just love that because Paul's like I know this is translation this isn't theology, but Paul's just so excited, he just keeps going. He's like, no time for punctuation, I need to tell you this. And he prays that the church would know the love of God, and he goes on to explain it. He said, if you could understand the vastness of his love for you, he says the, the breadth and the depth and the height and the width, and he, I like to say uh, that he said, God's love for us is higher than the sky and deeper than the sea. It's just so, it, like, it's mind-blowing. And Paul says, I pray that you would understand even just a little bit of this. If you would just understand just a, a fraction of how much God loves you. And then he goes on and he says, Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us, to him be the glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations, forever and ever. Amen. 
And I love this because he says, I hope that you understand God's love for you. And then it says, to him be the glory in the church for all generations forever. So if we understand even just a little bit of how much he loves us, we will love him in return because he's so good. It's a natural response for us to love him in return to give him glory in the church. He's talking to the church. The church would understand the love of God. And then he says, I hope that you will understand this. And if you do, God will be glorified in the church. It'll just be a natural response to his love. It was always meant to be a love exchange between us and him. He loved us so much that there was no other worthy price to be paid than of him himself. He laid down his life for his friends. And I want to be a friend of Jesus. So, now when we don't understand his love, and I think that's why Paul, it was so important to Paul. He said, I, I hope that you'll understand even just a little bit of the vastness of his love for you. But when we don't understand his love for us, we will live for ourselves. It's just human nature. It's a humanistic worldview that says that it's all about us and we'll fight to gain the world and we'll lose our soul. And I don't mean that to sound harsh or scary. It's just what the Bible says. That if we make it all about our lives, eventually it's going to cost us big. And I'm not just talking about heaven and hell. I'm talking about quality of life. I'm talking about not knowing the abundant life that he has, not understanding, not receiving the love that he has for us. But he said, seek him first. Seek first the kingdom of God and righteousness. So our first priority was always meant to be right standing with the Father. Now, I want you to know that I'm not saying you have to be perfect. Because he gives us grace to practice. He gives us permission to practice. And I know that we have lives to steward. We have families to take care of and... We have bodies to take care of and time to steward and a world to steward. But that was never meant to be done outside of our connection with him. So it doesn't mean that we're just in our prayer closets day and night because we seek him first. We seek him first in everything. He was never meant to be categorized or compartmentalized. He was never meant to be a time of the day or a day of the week or a lifeline when things are going really bad, even though you can do all those things. But he was meant to be in everything. He was meant to be in every aspect of our life, every day, every moment. We don't have to um, posture ourselves on our hands and knees and fold our hands and all of those things. In order to reach him, we can just say, hey, Father. And I say, help. (laughs) Holy Spirit, help. Because we get to do that. It's a nonstop conversation. So his promise to us is when we seek first the kingdom of God and righteousness, all these things will be added unto it, unto you. So in him, everything that you need, everything that, say everything I need, everything I will ever need is found in him. That's his promise. When we seek him first, everything else will be added unto us. That's where when I say I want to I be known as someone who takes him at his word, even when I don't see it, like the song we just sang, you know, I think, I think we got to be mindful of the words we're singing in worship, that it's not just like because we know the song, but we just said 
that he's a promise keeper. So that means that we're saying that when he says it, we believe it. So he says that when we seek him first, when we seek the kingdom first and righteousness, our right standing with him, that everything else that we need will be added unto us. And I think a lot of times we suffer a lot longer and a lot more often than we need to because we try to do it outside of him. And it was never meant to be done outside of him. So imagine a world where Christians didn't consult the Bible to prove their opinions, but sought the Bible to form their opinions. Because like I said earlier, we really like to, to have things figured out in our own mind. And I've always said, if I can understand, if my, my Katie brain can understand, can comprehend the God who created the universe, we're in really big trouble. Because I can't do algebra. And I get lost in my hometown. So if my little brain can figure out the complexities of a God who created the universe, we are all doomed. So I don't, I, I think we should seek him. And we'll, he will answer you. He, you will find him. But we're, it's not always going to make sense. So we have to go to him and we have to let this, we have to just not go to this Bible, this word of God, this living word of God to prove our point. We have to go to this to inform our point. If he said it, then I believe it. Not I believe it if I can make sense of it, if I can figure out how to put it on paper. No, if he said it, I believe it. We were meant to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And that comes from being in such fellowship with him that we are a becoming of the image and likeness of God. I liked this because the word becoming in verb form, it means begin to be. So if we're in fellowship with him, we actually begin to be the image and likeness of God. We are a becoming of it. We were created in his image and likeness, and that was never taken away from us. Even after the fall, that was never taken away from you. You're still created to be in the image and likeness of God. And then Jesus came because there was a separation because of sin. Jesus came and became the propitiation for our sins, the payment for our sins, so that we could be justified just as if we'd never sinned. And he restored us back to the original intent, image and likeness of God which is that we would look just like him with no legally binding separation because of Jesus. So that means that we're no longer under the old law, but we're under the law of love. So that means if you, if we sin, because we all sin and fall short of the glory of God. So if you mess up today, you can go to God. And because of Jesus, there's no legally binding separation. Jesus paid that price. So if you repent, if you go to God and say, God, I sinned, please forgive me. Help me to live a different way. You're right back into that image and likeness of God. And the Bible says that the world will know that we're Christians. Do you know the answer? The world will know we're, we're Christians because our love, right, by our love. And I didn't do a deep study on this, but I think that is twofold that the world's going to know we're Christians because we do works of love, because he told us to do that. But I think it goes a little deeper than that, 
in that the more we're in a relationship with love himself, the more we actually become love. And it's so it's a doing and a being. It is in what we do, but it's also we are carrying the divine nature of the person of love himself. We were always meant to be the spinning image of our Father God in heaven and on this earth. All right. In Hebrews 12, it says, Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Okay. If you have a hard time reading the Bible, start with Hebrews 12. Just do it. I don't really have a reason other than I like it, but just do it. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, for who, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Okay, the first, you can leave that up there. The first part of that verse talks about how there's weights and there's sin that so easily ensnares us. So I'm going to tell you that it says it right there, that it's heavy, the world is heavy, and sin is easy. It easily ensnares us. So if that's you, you fit the category of everyone. So it's okay. And then it says, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. So when we look to Jesus, that's when the weights fall off. That's when the ease of sin becomes harder because we look to Jesus. That's when we have endurance to run and keep running the race. It's because our eyes are fixed on Jesus. And then it says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. So me and God have had this talk, but Jesus is my favorite, at least right now. You know, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Well, I'm partial to Jesus, at least right now. I feel like some of you are like, is that heresy? But I really like Jesus because he gets it, because he lived on earth. He was our brother. He is our brother. And Jesus now, he sits at the right hand of the throne of God. And because we were always meant to be like Jesus, we were always meant to be with him, he seated us with him in heavenly places. And then in, in Ephesians 2, 7, it says that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. And I really love this because what that says is that for all of forever, he's going to be continually blowing our minds with how kind and how good and how loving he is. We're seated with, with Jesus in heavenly places at the right hand of God. And it says, that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace. The ages to come. This is never going to end. His goodness is constantly going to be being revealed to us forever. We, and we don't have to wait. We get to do that now. And this is really profound to me. We don't have to wait to know his goodness and his kindness. 
We get the amazing privilege and honor and opportunity to love him and to choose him now within time and space, within pain and suffering. We get to love him now. We're going to be loving him forever if we choose him. But now we get to love him within pain and suffering and within temptation and trial and testing. We get to choose him. Because love has a cost and it's worth it. And this sentence, I don't know where it came from, but it has just been like glue in my mind and it's changing me. Love has a cost and it's worth it. First Corinthians 13, the famous love chapter. In verse 4, uh, and I'm going to read it. I, up there, it's in the New King James. I'm going to read a hybrid of the New King James and the NIV. But just stick with me. In verse 4, it says, love suffers long. Say, love suffers. Love suffers. It's exciting, right? That's the one we all want to, yay, love suffers. But love suffers long, and love is kind, and love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. It's not puffed up. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things. It believes all things. It hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. Those four verses will change you. If you just meditated on those four verses, they will change you. Love suffers. <laughs> and that word, that there is interchanged with patience. But how many of you know when, you're, when you choose patience, when you choose to love someone, it costs you. It costs you your impatience. This morning, the computer was not working, and I was getting impatient. And in my mind, I went, love has a cost and it's worth it. So I can choose to be patient right now. So I tried. And the computer's working. Otherwise, you wouldn't be seeing that up there. But love costs us. Love is kind. When you choose to put on love, that means it's costing you your unkind attitude or your unkind words or your unkind actions. It says love is not puffed up. So when you choose to love in humility, that means it's costing you your pride. It's very costly. And then if you keep going in 1 Corinthians 13, in verse 11, it says, When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. Because see, as you grow in the Lord, it's not about you anymore. And I love this verse because Jesus, God, God does not rebuke a child for being a child. He's not saying, he's not pointing his finger down at you and saying, oh, you're a child, you need to grow up. No, he just says when you're a child, you're a child. Gabby, you have kids, right? They're just kids. <laughs> you expect a certain level of maturity from them because they're children. And you probably are ready for that to increase. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> but they're kids, so, you know, 
They have the capacity of a five, six, seven-year-old. But then it says, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. So Andy, if you behaved like Eli, we would have a problem. So we don't condemn Eli for being Eli, but we might look at you a certain kind of way if you acted like you're, how old is he? Six, six, six-year-old. So when, okay, we'll shift. We're not talking about Andy anymore. <laughs> but it says that when you become a man, you put away childish things. So when you're a baby, when you're a little child, everything is about you because it is. Like, you're, you cater to the child because they need you. But when you grow up, your behavior changes. Your maturity changes. It's not just about you anymore. Now you are serving, you are contributing to a world, to a family. So as you grow and you mature in love, it begins requiring more of you. So that those four verses, it requires patience. It requires that you, this has been a big one for me, that you do not keep record of wrongs. And this one's really changing me because we really like to keep score. At least I do. We like to keep score. We like to keep track. We like to build up an arsenal so that when someone does us wrong, we are ready to fire back all the things that they have ever done. But it says that love doesn't do that. And so that one's been challenging me. So the more you grow in the, and the more you mature in love, the more it costs you. So it, love often costs us our opinion and our right to be right. If you're married or if you have had a relationship with a person that is close to you, you know, would you rather be right? <laughs> What's the rest of that? Would, or be happy. They're, the married people know this. Okay. Would you rather be right or in a relationship? Sometimes it's going to cost you your opinion. Sometimes it's going to cost you your right. Say, I have a right to be right. <laughs> Sometimes it's going to cost us keeping our mouth shut if those words would not be honoring. Yes, it could cost you if you open your mouth. But it'll cost you in a better way. If you just choose just not to say them. That's maturity. That's growing in love. That's a love that costs you something. It costs us to not quit on someone when it's hard. It costs us not to keep record of wrongs. Mature love becomes more costly. It becomes about loving others and not just receiving love for yourself. It's uncomfortable. It requires sacrifice. It requires time, energy, choices, your thoughts. Because I am in covenant with you as giving light, that means that I, I am contractually obligated in covenant to guard my mind towards you. And I'm not saying I always do this. I'm saying because of love, I am obligated to guard my thoughts, to guard my words, to guard my attitudes. There you go. (laughs) 
Who said I did? No, I said I'm working on it. Maybe we need to talk about our love if you're worried about that. These people watching us, beautiful, wonderful people, don't know what we're saying when we do that. <laughs> okay. So I love that we are of a culture, especially in our Western world. I love that we have this culture of self-help. I'm very pro-therapy. I'm very pro-counseling. I love that people are doing their work to get healthy, and it's becoming more okay to talk about it when we're not okay. I really do appreciate that. I'm grateful to live when I live. But I think sometimes that goes too far because it becomes all about us, and it was never meant to be. So in the Bible, it says that we are to love our neighbor as ourself. That is one breath. Say, love your neighbor as yourself. Did you have to take another breath to say that? No, it's one sentence. It's one breath. Love your neighbor as yourself. And so a lot of times we'll say, what, what the airplane thing, right? If the plane's going down, you have to save yourself so that you can save the other person. But a lot of times we just save ourselves. If it's just about me, well, so I hear that all the time. Well, you have to care for yourself, which is true. You need boundaries and all of those things that we talk about. But that cannot be removed from loving our neighbor. Because if we do, that's a false gospel. We've just made something gospel that wasn't gospel. It's always together. Love your neighbor as yourself. So it's, it's always meant to be together. And if we try to separate it, we're breaking the gospel. So the language of our world and often of our religion is self-centered. And it was never meant to be. And I think as believers, we've got to be mindful of this, especially living in a Western world. We have to be mindful that it is not all about us. Because the gospel costs. And God didn't give his precious son and Jesus didn't give his life for me to forget the benefits that that affords me. So he gave us everything. So the response of love is that I give him everything because love costs. And that's worship. When I give back to God what he gave to me, that's worship. And it's not about payment because he's already paid the price. It's not about good works to earn his love. No, it's about a response. It's the call and response of love. In music, the, that phrase call and response means a statement quickly followed by an answering statement. I don't know if you remember um, back in like the 90s, we sang a lot of these songs in church where like the men would sing a part and then the women would sing a part. That's a call and response, like call, response. I can't think of a song pastor probably could but all of you can apparently so that's it's a call and response of love I love because he first loved me and love isn't passive love actually looks like something love is an active choice of choosing him with my life so it costs me laying down my life to take on his life to pick up my cross and to follow him so love has a cost and it's worth it in Philippians 3, 7 through 11, it says, I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Just think about it. I once thought that these things were valuable, 
but I now consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. That means Christ is now the most valuable thing in my life. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared to the infinite value of knowing Christ, Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage, so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Right there it's saying, this is not about good works to earn his love. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. Taking him at his word. I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him. It says it in the Bible. I want to suffer. Say, I want. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death, so that one way or another, I will experience the resurrection from the dead. Now, I don't think that we all are going to die on a cross. I don't think that's what this is saying. But we all are going to take up our cross daily and follow him. And it says, I used to care about other things. But Jesus has become the most important thing in my life that I want to suffer with him. Because it's an act of love. It's a call and response of love. He loved me so much. How could I not want to love him in return? How could it not cost me? I want it to cost me. It's worth it. It costs, but it's worth it. That is a love so outrageously good and wildly passionate that it becomes worth the cost. All right, I'm going to read a couple scriptures that are real fun ones. 1 Peter 4, 12 through 13 says, Dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery trials that you're going through. I love that. Because like, how many of you are like, life is hard? Like every day we're like, oh my gosh, life is hard. And I love it. It's like, don't be surprised. Life's hard. Don't be surprised you're going through fiery trials. And as if something strange were happening to you. And how many of you, like, if something wrong, bad is going on in your life, you want to tell somebody else, and then you go and you tell them, and they tell you, like, something that's happening in their life that's, like, eight times worse, and you're like, man, I really wanted my thing to be the worst thing. Like, I wanted my pain and my struggle to be the worst, and they just told you all these things, and you're like, I can't even complain now. So he says, don't be surprised at fiery trials you're going through as if something strange were happening to you. Instead, be very glad. Like, <laughs> and that's what the Bible says. For these trials make you partners with Christ in his suffering, so that you will have the wonderful joy of seeing his glory when it is revealed to all the world. And I think sometimes we, we love to blame suffering on the devil, and we act like a victim. And I say, say she loves me. I love you, but I think sometimes Christians got to have some grit. He told us that we're going to go through things. And I, I have deep, deep compassion. I'm not saying that those things are not important or that they matter or that I feel for you. If you need me to cry with you, I'll cry with you. I cry easy. But Jesus suffered too. Every person that has ever lived on the, on the planet has suffered. But Jesus, you'll never once find him complaining. Because he took, his, he took it to the Father. And instead, he glorified God. So Romans 8, 15 through 18, it says, So you, you have not received the spirit that makes you fearful slaves. 
Instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him what? Abba, Father. For his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. And since we are his children, we are his heirs. Say, I am his heir. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. Now, how many of you recognize that scripture? Like that one is used a lot. If you keep going, verse 17 says, but if we are to share in his glory, we must also share in his suffering. That part doesn't get read as often. And I think sometimes we think that going through hard things is suffering, but I think that's just, I think that's the suffering of the world because we live in a fallen, broken world. But I think that suffering for Jesus is not that. It's not the suffering of the world. The suffering of of Jesus is when we experience that and we glorify God anyway. When we love anyway. When, When love suffers long, when it's patient and kind, when it doesn't envy, when it doesn't parade itself, it's not puffed up, it doesn't behave rudely or seek its own. That's the suffering of Jesus, is choosing to love him in return. And then if you keep going... Verse 18 says, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. Like this is so profound. We are adopted into his family and because of that, because of his love is so profound and so rich towards us, we'll love him in return. We'll take on his suffering and his sufferings are very worth it compared to the glory that will be revealed in us. So love has a cost and it's worth it. So my challenge, I know I'm, I'm late, but I, it's fine. Our challenge, my challenge for all of us, myself included, and I want you to hear me, like I am not telling you something that I don't, I, I'm not actively practicing and failing at every day, but practicing but does this gospel cost you? It do, good. Because we've got to go from the milk to that adult state, that mature love, where it's not just about us, but it's about him. So now, the Bible also talks about persecution. And I think sometimes we think we're being persecuted in our great nation, and I would challenge to say if that's persecution, but there are parts of the world where there's great persecution happening. But, and so that may come, because the Bible says it, it could come. But I'm not talking about that. Every time that he convicts us, and we make the choice of love to change back into his image and likeness, that's a sacrifice of love that costs us. It costs us our old way of thinking to take on his. It means surrendering the ways, thoughts, attitudes, behaviors of the world to pick up our cross and follow him. Now, I need you to remember that his yoke is easy and his burden is light. So if this feels condemning or heavy or like like you have to work in order to have love, that is not what I'm saying. That's That's not the gospel. That's the voice of the accuser. But it, 
if it's convicting you, if it's stirring you to change, that's an invitation of the Holy Spirit. And it will cost you, but it's worth it. And his mercies are new towards us every morning if we choose to pick them up. 2 Corinthians 12, 9 says, And he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in your weakness. So inherent in the person of love is everything that we will ever need. Isaiah 40, 29 through 31 says, He gives power to the weak, and to those who have no might, he increases strength. Even the youths shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. Where is he? This is an inside thing. They shall mount up on wings like eagles. We were having a whole eagle conversation before. They shall run and not grow weary. They shall walk and not faint. This gospel will never benefit him more than it benefits you. The cost will always be worth it. But that's trusting. That's trusting that his love for you is so great that when you love him in return, it's going to benefit you more than it benefits him. So so I want to spend my life being his reward. So every time that we hear and obey his voice, we're his reward. Every time that we put our attention and our affection on him, we're his reward. Every time we love our neighbor as ourself, we're his reward. Every time... We take, on, we take a feeble and weak step towards him. We're his reward. Every time we care for the disenfranchised, we're his reward. Every time we speak God's heart over someone, we're his reward. And every time we choose to love, no matter the cost, we're his reward. How many of you have ever watched a movie that you didn't like because somebody you love liked it? How many of you have ever done the hard thing instead of the easy thing because it was better for the person that you loved? So it costs. Love costs. Because it's not about you anymore. It's about love. All right. So, so in worship, this costs, because it, it's not about what we want, it's about what he wants. So that's just the question is, Holy Spirit, I want to respond. I want it, that call and response of love to where it's not just about me and what I want. It's about you and what you want. And it's not because we're trying to earn love or work up to love, because he's already loved us. But it's about loving him in return. So, Father, I just thank you, God that you love us so extravagantly, higher than the sky and deeper than the sea. God, your love will never run out. Your word says that even if we made our bed in hell, you would find us there. You loved us when we were yet sinners, when we were enemies of you. You loved us. So, Father, I thank you that you, your love abounds. You are rich in mercy. But God, I thank you that it is our great joy to pick up our cross and follow you. That the cost of serving you is so worth it. God, and I, I pray for a conviction of the Holy Spirit.
God, that we would go from being a child who you love to growing and maturing so that we could love you in return. God, I thank you that your mercies are new towards us every morning. Your grace is very sufficient for us. And I speak to any voice of accusation, and I say you are a liar. Be silenced. You are not the voice that we listen to. We listen to the voice of love. So I bless these people that I love in Jesus' name. Amen.